Have you ever been at the top of your game, had that moment, your day in the sun, in which you were lifted up, raised up as the best of the best, a champion, the top of your field, recognized, appreciated for what you had accomplished, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, or some discipline like music or the arts, but you were recognized as the best. There's, my son is in, uh, he, he was a junior in high school, and he was captain of his football team, his rugby team, and, uh, but he also played up because he was, a, he was a decent player, so they invited him up to play for the senior team. So at the end of his year, he's a running back, at the end of the year, uh, they played in, the, uh, in the, our, our provincial stadium in Vancouver, uh, the, uh, at that time it was called BC Place, and it's where, uh, it's where the Canucks play and where the, uh, actually, actually not the Canucks, but where the, uh, our Lions play and, and our, our top teams. And uh, they got runner-up. They were a good team, but the senior team went on and they, they beat everybody and they got, uh, you know, they got the top award. And so my son was asked, do you want a ring? You know, you want to buy a ring? It was going to be 300 and some dollars. And uh, so Colter says, Dad, I don't want to buy a ring this year because our team's probably going to win it next year. And I said, buy the ring. <laughs> buy the ring now because you might, this, this opportunity might never come up now. If you want a ring, rec- recognition for being the best in football, even though you didn't play a lot, you were part of a team that went all the way and won it all. Buy the ring now. You know, we recognize great achievement in our culture. Uh, great achievement at, in acting uh, is recognized by an Academy Award. In music and in singing, uh, it's called a Grammy. And each sport seems to have a recognition or trophy or uh, uh, a champion recognized. Um, if it's in boxing, it's by a belt. And one of the greatest sports events is taking place this summer in Brazil, and the award winner, those, that team that comes away with the prize will win the FIFA World Cup, and it's going to be Brazil. So uh, <laughs> you can tell where my allegiances lie. Uh, but anyway, if uh, in golf, to win the green jacket of the Masters is considered the highest uh, award in golf. Uh, in the NFL, the Vince Lombardi Trophy, and if Seattle wasn't so good, you know, I think San Francisco would have a chance. But uh, <laughs> in the NHL, Vancouver sucks this year, and, uh, and uh, uh, San Jose has a chance of going all the way. They just got to get by L.A., so go, go Sharks. <laughs> uh, cycling, the Yellow Jacket. Uh, wearing the well, yellow jacket for the Tour de France is recognized as the highest accomplishment in cycling. And uh, I could go on for baseball. I, I'm, I'm not even sure what that award is uh, because no Canadian team has ever won it. <laughs> but I love the competition. I love seeing champions awarded and raising their, their trophy, raising their what they've won, and... To me, the greatest event in the world is the oldest, which is the Olympics. And everyone is going for that gold medal. 
You know, Canada never showed up for years. Uh, when we had to put on the 2000, in the first Olympics we put on in Montreal, uh, we didn't even win a, a gold medal. We didn't, I don't even know if we won a medal. Uh, in 2010, uh, because we invested a lot of money, $6 billion, then we came away as uh, the number one team in the Winter Olympics with the most gold. This year we came third, U.S. came fourth, because we got a pretty good hockey team. Actually, we got two good hockey teams, the women's team and the men's team. But you know something? You're in a nation that creates champions. You, you're used to it. This is new to us. You're used to creating and raising up and training and preparing men and women who become champions. And you owned it in this Winter Olympics with the halfpipe in both snowboard and in skiing. You probably weren't aware of that. And uh, two months ago, um, 2,873 athletes from 88 nations in 98 events in 18 disciplines of winter sports met in Sochi, Russia. It was the most expensive sports event in history as Russia poured out close to 55 billion, not million, billion dollars to have a team that would come in first. And, uh, of course, Norway came second, Canada and the U.S. Uh, you won way more medals than us. We just won one more gold. So, um, but it's all about going for gold. Let me ask you, in your area, in your focus, in what you're pouring your life into, are you a spectator or are you going for it? Are you totally sold out in going for it? Because to go for gold, when you train your champions, when you train your Olympians, it's total sacrifice, it's total denial of the good life, the easy life, Denial of your family, denial of uh, Friday night pizza watching uh, um, dancing, <laughs> dancing with the stars, <laughs> whatever, whatever you spend your Friday night watching. It's denial of all of that because you're, you're focused on one goal, on one aim. Everything you have is being disciplined, focused, honed to be able to be, have that medal put around your neck. Going for gold. And um, you have a tradition of great champions. I mean, Bodie Miller, Sean White, Lindsey Vaughn, um, and uh, Apollo Oni. Uh, they, never, they never stepped to the top tier as gold medalists this year because you've created new champions. I mean, people like Sage, Kostenberg, Jamie Anderson, uh, David Weiss, and... Meryl Davis and Charlie White, who were just killing it on Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> as well as being the best in the world in ice dance. I mean, you have, you have a tradition of champions and of gold medal winners, gaining the gold. Um, it takes total commitment to get there. Where are those, where is the spirit of sacrifice for, go, uh, for God in North America? Where's the willingness to risk it all to win the prize, which is a golden crown, which we lay at the feet of Jesus one day? Where are those who are going for it spiritually? Um, where are the champions of the faith? Where are those who are making a huge impact for God in going for gold for God? Um, 
You know, I can't speak about this nation, nor can I speak about my own nation. But I can speak about this church, Neighborhood Church, that I see here a spirit of sacrifice. I see here those who have a missionary vision. I see here people who are committed. This is a missionary-sending church, a missionary-supporting church, who are much like the corporate sponsors in the Olympic Games, who are supporting those who are going and even sending out those who are going to going for gold for God. Uh, turn in your uh, Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be focusing on two passages, 1 Corinthians 9, and then in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and following. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize, as to win, as to gain gold. And then in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But who, whatever was to my profit, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then down in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of, of his suffering, and then in verse, uh, uh, down in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on forward to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Neighborhood Church, let me share with you about your champions, those who are going for gold for God in Cuba. Those who know sacrifice, who know denial, who have poured out blood, sweat, and tears for the sake of the gospel. Those who have left their families to go to other parts of the country to win those communities for Christ. In a communist country, in a country where there has been persecution in past, severe limitation even today, but to gain the crown to one day put at the feet of Jesus. Rodolfo Suarez was born into a family of spiritists. Uh, Santeria is the uh, religion encouraged by the government of Cuba. Um, the lady you're seeing on your screen is a Santera. She's a priestess. You'll find her in the town square right outside the Catholic Church because there's uh, in, that, in, in the Cuban culture, there's a syncretism where the Santeros uh, worship the Catholic saints, but they give them their African spirit names. And it's a focus on communication with the dead, a focus on casting spells and invoking the spirits. And uh, Santeria is a dangerous, dangerous uh, practice. And so this family, they had huge tracts of land and Rodolfo's family, his grandparents had been Santeros. His parents, his mother was a priestess in Santeria. And what he did is, um, 
He just grew up in all of it. It was part of his house, people practicing voodoo, practicing the black arts from all over North Africa, from all over the Americas would come. Other santeros, uh, those involved in witchcraft and spiritism would come to their home and they would literally invoke the spirits, they would uh, cast spells, they would learn, they would teach, and it became a center for spiritism throughout much of Cuba. At 18, Rodolfo left his family just to go into the city and uh, to meet some friends. While he was there, he heard a, a loud celebration. Young people meeting in a Baptist church. And during that time, as he was, um, as he was passing by, he felt drawn in by the celebration because he sensed in his spirit that it was a new spirit being worshipped, a Holy Spirit. And as he went inside... He heard the message, and it, it was like a, a, a knife in his heart, totally contrary to everything he had learned and everything his family had dedicated their life to. And at the end of the service, at the altar call, he went forward and surrendered his life to Christ. It cost him everything. When he returned home all excited to share with his parents what he'd given his life to, His mother says, that's not what we stand for. That's not what we're about. You have a choice. Choose family and you can stay. If you choose this Jesus, this Christ, leave now. He was kicked out of his family. Kicked out of his home. And so with nowhere to go, he went back to the church. And this Baptist pastor took him in. And for the next four years poured into him like a son, trained him, discipled him, taught him to be a leader of the youth group, and eventually to be on one of their evangelism teams. And during those four years, he met a young girl, got married, and together they formed a family. Within a year, they had a little baby boy. And his mother didn't care about seeing her son, but he want, she wanted to see their, her grandson. So she invited him to come to their home, invited him to return back after five years gone. He went back to his family home, and that little baby in its grandmother's arms wrapped its hand around her heart, softened her towards her son, and she said, why? Why did you give all this up? What was the purpose? Why did you give this all, all this up to follow another God? And he shared his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that day, his mother made a decision to follow Jesus. Over the next week, his father, brothers and sisters, also made a decision to follow Jesus. And over the next six months, one-third of the congregation of that spiritus center gave their lives over to Christ. Created a huge problem. Because here was a spiritist center, key and and uh, uh, key in, all, in for all of Cuba and much of the spirit world in that part of the world, and in that in this building, which had been dedicated to Satan and worship of the spirits, they were now inviting people to come to know Jesus, and so the mother told all those who had had gone there previously 
to practice Santeria, to come, get your altars, get your amulets, get all these things dedicated to the black arts. They went in and they stripped off everything, even the fans off the ceiling. There was nothing left in there so that they could start over again, dedicate that building, and begin to build a church. Solo Cristo salva. Only Christ saves. There is no other spirit by which men can come to, uh, to, to a saving knowledge of God but through the, the spirit of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. And so he began to work in that church, getting his seminary training, and now that, that spirit ascender is a church. And you, Neighborhood Church, are supporting Rodolfo Suarez as he's going for gold for God. He has planted two daughter churches, and they are at the point of becoming independent, in which that salary, the $25 a month it takes to support a Cuban pastor, will be poured out into uh, the two other pastors overseeing those other two house churches. The Baptists have asked for support for 25 new pastors, and uh, they've got seminary, 25 seminary students who have graduated and need support. That's, uh, there's always, the needs are constant. They're always great. But you are having a huge impact in Cuba. Edgardo Gamboa, Haitian background, comes from a Christian family. He was a rebel child, a son who went against the teachings of his parents. And as soon as he came of age, 18, he joined the military, joined the Communist Party, and for 20 years he was a communist, member of the party. And then what happened is uh, he was called to war in Angola, went with the Cuban army, and they fought in Angola. And during the three years of his service in Angola, uh, he was shot twice, got brought in, uh, hospitalized, patched up, and he said, now I can go home. Not so. They put him back into battle, shot again the second time, came, came into the hospital, recovered from his wounds, sent back to battle. And when he was shot a third time, he had finished his three years and was sent home. And he said, my life was so empty. Everything in life that I believed in, I was disillusioned by. Communism, the military, the values of, of our state and country, disillusioned. And so I sought God through alcohol, became an alcoholic, through drugs, got addicted. And none of that filled the emptiness in my life. And so uh, I decided to get married and settle down, get a house got married, but my life was in chaos. And so my wife divorced me, and then the state seized my house. And at 40 years of age, I was left with nothing. And so I cried out and I said, God, if you exist, find me. Guess what? God found him, he saved him, and he called him into full-time Christian ministry. He went through a discipleship course working with a team of evangelists, and after his training, a two-year training, he began to plant churches. The guy's over 70 years of age, and you're supporting him. What are you doing supporting a 70-year-old? But you know what? He's planted 10 churches. He's planted the neighborhood church of Chivarico, the neighborhood church of uh, Sagua de Tanamo, the neighborhood church of, uh, of Banis. Because everywhere he plants a church, he's doing it on your behalf. You're supporting him. He needs a bike. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we don't supply them with cars. They're pretty, they're pretty low maintenance. But for $25 a month, you're planting a lot of churches through this 
one individual, Edgardo. And you know what he says? For the first time in my life, I have peace. I have a sense of purpose. I have a sense of direction. And uh, God has raised me up. He's going for gold for God on your behalf. Nobel Nieto. He said, I used to work for Satan, but now I work for God. And um, good-looking guy, uh, a brawler, a drunk. Um, He also a bit of a ladies' man. And um, he managed a bar for the state, but out the back he was dealing drugs and involved in prostitution. And he says, my life was good. My life was full. Uh, I was happy with my life. I was going in a good direction. But guess what? A woman came along. Nothing like changing the direction of a man's life than to put a woman in it. Because honestly, we need fixing girls. And I know, I know that you all have the ability to fix up a man. <laughs> well, Nobel needed fixing. And he saw in his wife, or not his wife yet, but he saw in this young woman, somebody who had great faith, had great focus, great determination, and who had a peace in her life that he never had. And so she invited him to church, and to patronize her, he went. Then he went a second time, then he went a third time, then he went many times. And then one Sunday, she waited at the altar for him to come down to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. They were married. And now together, they're planting a a church, and they have this little thing called a happy hour. Unlike the happy hour we have here in North America, where they're metting out all kinds of beverages and, and uh, peanuts and big screen TVs, there it's groups of kids that after school, they come into their home and they memorize scripture, they get portions of scripture. If they memorize so much, they'll get a New Testament, they're given a drink, and they're given some candy, and uh, they can win awards for being in a relationship or, or, or for uh, 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 knowing Bible verses and knowing the story of Jesus. The church he planted had 20 people in it. Uh, it had zero, but do, doing door-to-door uh, visitation, he and his wife, through their happy hour, had a church mostly of young, um, young kids and elderly. But when I met with him two weeks ago, they had... 10 people that were being baptized that were going to join the church and another 12 that had accepted Christ in a two-week outreach. And so the church was growing and he was on the verge of planting another church in the area where they had been door-to-door evangelism. And again, uh, Nobel, Nieto, going for gold for God and uh, another one of the missionaries that you're supporting. Let me tell you about uh, Victor or Victor Torno. Uh, He was a captain in the Cuban military, made good money, three times the average salary, $75 a month. Uh, The average wage in Cuba is about $20 a month, and uh, you're supporting pastors at $25 a month. Part of that goes towards the conferences, transportation costs, and some emergency needs that they have. And part of it, uh, what we do is we also take in funds to buy pieces of land in the communities where they're working in so they can put up a pastoral home. Most of them will have an old, run-down home. They go in. Many of them live uh, 
in a house with guano roof. Uh, it's like a palm frond, dirt floors, and, um, but they're willing to deny comforts in order to establish a work of God in those communities. Victor, he felt he had no moral com- compass, was an alcoholic. He said God didn't exist because we were taught by the state that there is no God, that God was dead, ceased to exist, never did exist. But when my dad died, Victor told me, I had such a yearning that there must be more than this. I had such an emptiness in my life that if this is all there is, then what hope is there for any of us? And so he began to cry out to God. And in his seeking and his searching, he was taken in by a Pentecostal pastor, invited to come in and uh, talk about this emptiness. And that pastor led him to the Lord. I should say a Baptist pastor. I had the privilege three years ago of being in that church when Victor, his wife, and his son went forward, part of 18 who were being baptized that day and surrendering their life to Christ. He quit the military. He was going to get kicked out anyway. Quit the military and said, Lord, here I am. Use me as you would. And God began to use him. He's planted one church in um, the community of what are, oh, Nicaragua. There's a, a small village in uh, uh, Holguin province named Nicaragua. So he's planted a church there. And he and his wife have planted two other cell groups that will grow into a church. And they're totally sold out for God. But uh, you are supporting Victor and his wife. Uh, Neighborhood church, these are just a few of your champions. These are some men and women, outstanding, committed, totally focused, that you are pouring into to win Cuba for Christ. Now, I gave away my bracelet. I have a little bracelet, a black bracelet on our table that says Cuba for Christ. Many of you have invested. Uh, Go to the back and grab one of those bracelets as a reminder that this church has a huge part, a huge role in winning Cuba for Christ. Just last year alone, um, you have 120 workers. And in in, uh, 2013, they ministered to 49,664 people. And the reason I know those statistics is because every three months they have to send me a report. If they don't, there's no salary. And so I get outstanding reports from my Cuban workers. 11,004 decisions were made for Christ in 2013. 2,338 baptisms. 61 churches planted. Neighborhood churches in those villages, in those towns. 136 prayer cells, including prayer cells in the prison cells of 20 of Cuba's prisons. And 36 of the churches became independent in which the pastors you were supporting said, thank you very much, neighborhood. We no longer be, uh, need your support. You can transfer those funds to another young gun, young pastor that is being raised up by God. You've had a huge impact in Cuba. Of those young men, young women, some of them old men, uh, going for gold for God. Now let me tell you about the sports ministry. If the church planners and evangelists are doing an amazing job, the sports ministry is having even a, a bigger impact on the youth of Cuba. Osmani Sosa grew up with the dream of every Cuban boy to be a national hero, a champion 
in the sport of baseball. He was at the top of his game, and in the mid-90s, he played for the national team, actually in the late 90s, the national team for four years. He was a household name like Sammy Sosa was in the Dominican Republic. During his glory years, he said, us as athletes, we're all on a, we would reach a level of conditioning and of athleticism and of giftedness where we were very much on par, so we would need something more to give us an extra added ability or strength or power. And so I would invite the spirits of Santeria to fill me, to give me that power. And he says, I found that my pitches were more controlled. I found that I, I had this inner power, but at great price. I didn't sleep well. I struggled in my relationships because there's a great cost when you dedicate your life to Satan. But he says, what happened is one day my mother changed. She went to a church and she told me about this Jesus that she invited into her life at church. I could see her prayers being answered. I could see the changes coming over my mother's life and I wanted those for myself. So one day when she invited me to church, I went to church with her. That was the end of my baseball career. The government, my coaches, my other uh, co-team co members put pressure on me to quit. I said, I can't quit. Because I sensed God calling me to start youth teams, working with youth. Baseball, volleyball, soccer, basketball. And uh, at that point, my salary was cut. I had no income. We had our first daughter, my wife and I. Uh, has two daughters now. But he says, my life was finished, and I didn't know what to do, so I said to God, you go before me. You, you, you order my next step, and I'll take the one. I'll take the step that you put down. You know, at that time, Mark and these uh, uh, big, hairy, bodacious guys came into Cuba, and I know because I've roomed with some of them. And uh, at that time, they came in, and there was one of them was just a little bit crazed. His name is Doug Foxworthy, and uh, he came in very focused, very intent on fulfilling a vision that God had given him. They came in with eight sets of uniforms, and I thought, are you guys nuts? I am so glad that groups don't tell me what they're bringing into Cuba because I'll try and discourage them because I know they're not going to get it in, or if they do, it's going to cost them a lot of money. Well, these guys paid the bill in Mexico. They got to Cuba, and I was going up trying to slip the customs officers a ball glove, or I was trying to slip them a baseball or, or a uniform. They said, no, you got to pay. you got to pay some money to bring all this stuff in. They got it in, and they started eight ball teams, youth ball teams, and then Doug took me aside. And actually, Mark and I were in the church when he stood before the church, and he said, God's called me to plant 600 youth ball teams in Cuba. And I looked at Mark and I thought, is he nuts? I mean, what's reasonable? Ten teams? What's possible? A hundred teams? 600 teams? Are you crazy? And guess what? I don't know how many years ago that was. But we've been, uh, just before that, at the end of the 90s, God connected with me with Osmani. You as a church are supporting six managers, and they train these kids, many more. They've got a number that are working, that they don't have the funds. These are two of them right here. Uh, and that guy uh, on my left is the coach that coached Osmani when he first came in. Now he's one of the managers working for this church, and the man beside him, those guys are just brutes when it comes to baseball. And uh, what they do is they put the kids through a 10-week course in order to qualify to play for a tournament. 
If you want to play in our provincial tournament and eventually in the national tournament, you have to take this 10-week course. It's called The Life of Jesus. Guess what? Uh, the, the name they use, it's a, it's, the course is about life of Jesus, but it's called Benzadores, Overcomers, is the name of the course. Last year, they preached the gospel to over 90,000 kids and parents and people that came to the games. 14,000 plus decisions were made for Jesus Christ. They engaged and involved 14 denominations in the outreach. They started, get this, they have now started 670-some baseball teams. Doug's goal of 600 was reached last year. Over 200 since 2012. They have trained 125 pastors to raise up their own ball program in a sports ministry in their local churches. Let me ask you this morning. Um, are you in the race? Are you going for gold? Or are you as a spectator? They say there's three types of people in the world. There's those that see things happen, that watch things happen. There are those that uh, say, what's happening? And then there are those who make things happen. Doug Foxworthy was a young man who made things happen. And there are many of you here in this congregation this morning. You know what? Cuba would be greatly diminished without your involvement because you have made a huge impact in Cuba as these young men and these young women are going for gold for God. God bless you as you uh, pour into these young men and young women. They have needs. Uh, I had a, uh, a family that came up and said, I, I mentioned the need for mules this morning. One family said, we'd like to support three mules. I said, if you, if, uh, you provide for the mules, you can name them. So this uh, father named one after his wife and two after his kids. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> a mule is an all-terrain vehicle in Cuba. Some of our pastors are working in urban centers. They need bicycles. And there's a huge need for bicycles. I know one pastor. I saw five people on a bike. Five. And we've seen, I don't know how many guys we've seen on motorcycles in Vietnam, Mark. More than that, for sure. But I've seen five people on the bike. The baby on the mother's back. Uh, a kid sitting in a little half seat on the front. Someone on the handlebars and someone on the back. They'll use it to go and plant other churches and to minister two and three times a week in their cell groups around the city. And uh, there's a big need for Bibles. Pray, please pray, that the Bibles already in Cuba, at one year we provided 100,000 Bibles, then they're gone. We know there's Bibles in Cuba that the government's sitting on. We're praying that they'd be released, and I'm even willing to buy them. Even though they've been paid for, I'm willing to buy them to get them in the hands of our church planters and evangelists. We have a need for land, and we can buy sometimes land for, with a house on it for 500 up to 1,000. In the cities, it's much more. But the pastor will move his family in. The living room becomes a church, and uh, they'll make an impact. And neighborhood church of that community will be a small rundown house with little bench seats. And sometimes the pastor will be preaching from his own bed to a congregation lined up in front of him. Thank you. Thank you, and may God bless you as uh, keep praying, as you 
support these young men, these young women, these champions of the faith, making their maximum impact for God as they win Cuba for Christ, going for gold for God. Thank you. And may God bless you as you send your teams in for worship, for uh, send other teams for ministering to men, for women, marriage. Cuba has the highest divorce rate in the world. And uh, may God continue to use you and bless you as you win Cuba for Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord, I just praise you for these people, these sponsors of your men and women, your champions in Cuba, in Thailand, in China, in India, in Myanmar, and around, in Cambodia, in Mexico, and around the world. I praise you for this church, an impact church, that through their resources, through their prayers, through their sending of their young people, are having a huge impact for your kingdom's sake. And I bless them. And Lord, use them. And I pray that you would envision them uh, as they go on into uh, Turkey and into Israel. And I bless that group with Pastor Mark. And Father, I pray that you would multiply yourself through these, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen.